Luke chapter 2, verse number 1. You know this story. And it came to pass in those days that a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This census first took place while Quirinius was governing Syria. So all went to be registered, everyone to his own city. Joseph also went up from Galilee out of the city of Nazareth into Judea to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David. To be registered with Mary, his betrothed wife, who was with child. So it was while they were there, the days were completed for her to be delivered. And she brought forth her firstborn son, wrapped him in swaddling cloths, laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the end. This is the most wonderful story ever told. It's the Christmas story. And I don't know about you, but to me, it never gets old. I hope over the next few weeks, you hear it over and over and over again. We have a tradition in our home. We normally open gifts that we give to one another on Christmas Eve. And every Christmas Eve, we'll all sit around the the Christmas tree and we pass out the gifts to everyone who is there. We usually invite somebody who's not a part of our family, who might not uh, have family in the area. We bring them in and have them to be a part with us. And we make sure they have a, a gift as well. And before we open the presents... We make sure, after the presents are handed out, we make sure that someone reads the Christmas story. And then we take a few moments to go around and let each person individually say something they're thankful for this Christmas. We have been observing this tradition and practice in our home since our child, our firstborn son, was an infant. Several years ago, we passed out the gifts, and I just wanted to see if they remembered And we didn't say a word about the Christmas story or reading the Christmas story. We just passed out the gifts. And once everyone had received their gifts, I said to Casey, I said, Casey, go ahead and open your gift. And at that, both Tyler and Casey, my children, adult children now, responded, Dad, we've got to read the Christmas story first. So this is a practice, a tradition that's gotten into their hearts and you say, well, why is it so important to read the Christmas story? It's a cor- we, you might think this is a corny saying, and you've heard it a million times, but it's the most truthful thing you'll hear. Jesus is the reason for the season. Christmas is all about Jesus. And if we ever get to the point that Christmas is about anything beside Jesus, we've missed the whole meaning of Christmas altogether. Joseph and Mary make the pilgrimage to Bethlehem from Nazareth. Isaiah chapter 11 is a prophecy about the coming of Jesus the Messiah. It says in Isaiah chapter 11 verse 1, Out of the stump of David's family will grow a shoot. Everybody say shoot. Out of the stump of David's family will grow a shoot. Yes, a new branch bearing fruit. From the old root. It's interesting, very interesting, that that word shoot there comes from the root word of the word Nazareth. The word shoot is the root of the Hebrew word Nazareth. So, hidden in the Old Testament, hundreds of years before Jesus was ever born in a manger in Bethlehem, the Bible tells us that the Messiah would come. 
from Nazareth. The Messiah would come from Nazareth. Now, everybody knew about Bethlehem. The prophet had told about the Messiah would be born in Bethlehem. But nobody ever considered the Messiah in Nazareth. In fact, turn with me to John chapter 1. John chapter 1, verse 43. Go over to the Gospel of John. How many got a Bible? How many have a Bible? John chapter 1, verse 43. I'll give you a moment to get there in your phone, on your iPad, or if you brought your Bible. John chapter 1, verse 43, it says this. The following day, Jesus wanted to go to Galilee, and he found Philip and said to him, Follow me. Now Philip was from Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter. Philip found Nathanael and said to him, We have found him of whom Moses and the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. And look at what verse 46 says. And Nathanael said to him, Can anything good come out of Nazareth? Philip said to him, Come and see. So even the disciples had missed what Isaiah said, that out of Nazareth, out of the shoot, Nazareth would come the Messiah. That's how amazing and intriguing the Word of God is. On every page, there's some type of picture of Jesus Christ and His coming to planet Earth. The young couple make their way along the hilly, difficult terrain to Bethlehem. The young teenage Mary is at a point of giving birth to her firstborn. The passage was difficult for the young couple. A pregnant teenager riding on horseback and the love of her life, her young life walking alongside. The young couple had left family and friends and probably not realizing that every step was a fulfillment of prophecy. Though they were not accompanied by mom or dad or brothers or sisters, I guarantee you the angels of God were with them all the time. They finally arrived outside of Bethlehem only to find that all the available housing options were filled. The young couple finally find an empty cave. It literally was an animal enclosure, a place for animals to get out of the the elements, the weather elements. They finally find this cave, and the time arrives for Mary to give birth. Think about it. Alone, without her mother, without a midwife, just her, a teenage girl, and the love of her life, Joseph, there, and Mary gives birth to her firstborn, the long-awaited Messiah. A more humbler or more humble birth could not be imagined for the very King of glory. And this morning, as you and I have heard this story over and over, I want to bring to light just a couple of things from the story that maybe you haven't heard emphasized before. Go back to Luke chapter 2, verse number 6. And so it was that while they were there, the days were completed for her to be delivered. And she brought forth her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling. Everybody say swaddling. Swaddling cloths and laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the end. Now go down to verse 8 and let's read. 
Now there were in the same country shepherds living out in the fields, keeping watch over their flock by night. And behold, an angel of the Lord stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone round them, and they were greatly afraid. Then the angel said to them, Do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people, verse 11, for there is born to you this day in the city of David, Bethlehem, a Savior who is Christ the Lord, the Messiah, verse 12. And this will be a sign to you. You will find a babe wrapped in swaddling. Everybody say swaddling. Swaddling cloths lying in the manger. Now it's interesting. Luke, the writer, the great physician who wrote the Gospel of Luke, he mentions that this baby that was be born of young Mary would be wrapped in swaddling cloths. And not only did he mention it, the angel, the angel of God told the shepherds, the angel told the shepherds a sign that the child was the Messiah was he would be wrapped in swaddling cloths lying in a manger. Swaddling cloths. Have you ever thought about that? Swaddling cloths? What are they? Swaddling cloths are cloths or bands, strips of cloth, which were used to wrap an infant tightly. A piece of cloth, a square piece of cloth, would be laid out and the infant would be laid diagonally on the cloth. A mixture of powdered salt would be rubbed upon the infant and then the infant would be wrapped snugly in the cloth so he couldn't move. And then they would cut strips of cloth into bands or strips, and they would wrap them around the snugly bound infant, prohibiting the baby's movements. The baby resembled a little mummy in a cocoon. And the idea behind swaddling is that it helps the baby transition from the womb, which is a very snug place, to the outside world. Swaddling cloths help keep the baby confined and straight, which loving parents did as a symbol and as a sign that their child would grow up to be straight and holy. Swaddling is still used today. You go into any hospital nursery... And you will see babies wrapped tightly up. Anybody know what I'm talking about? I go to those nurseries and I see those babies and I know they're thinking, let me out of here. Let me move. Let me scream. Let me holler. Let me. But they got them wrapped in the little, little cap on their head and they're just sitting there, innocent, already bound up, wanting to be free. That's exactly what swaddling is all about. In that culture, listen, in that culture when infants were unwanted or uncared for, and many infants were unwanted because of the Roman government, they were constantly killing children, they were constantly slaughtering children, taking them as slaves. So a lot of children were born uh, in secrecy, And if they had any type of defect whatsoever, a disability at birth, the parents would leave them in a field. 
The parents would put them in a cave and just leave them alone. But in that culture, when infants were unwanted or uncared for, they were often left in a field or hidden in a cave to die. They would not be wrapped up. The parent wouldn't spend the time or the care or the money to wrap a child up, to swaddle a child. They would just leave them out there naked to allow the elements to take their toll. You see, the swaddling cloths were a sign the infant was loved and cared for. Therefore, a child being found in a cave was no big deal. But notice what the angel said. The angel says, you will find this baby, they found it in a cave, wrapped in swaddling cloths. In other words, a baby, an abandoned baby found in the cave was normal back then. But to find a baby in a cave whose parents were there and they had cared for that baby and swaddled that baby and prepared that baby for life between the womb and the real world was a sign, a sign that the shepherds had never seen before. And then we read in Luke chapter 2, verse number 6, it says, And so it was that while they were there, the days were accomplished that Mary should be delivered. And she brought forth her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes, laid him in the manger. Now notice this last phrase, because there was no room for them in the end. Now unlike today, Bethlehem was not like uh, the exit out here at Medical Center Parkway. It didn't have an embassy suites. It didn't have a, uh, a Hilton Garden Inn. It didn't have a Holiday Inn Bethlehem. It might have had my favorite place. I'm a member. I'm a, I'm a card-carrying member of, of Motel 6. They, uh, they always are, are the, Motel 6 where they leave the light on for you. Isn't it? I, I'm a card-carrying member. Some of you are members of Hyatt. Some of you are members of, of Marriott. Some of you are members of them big fancy places. I'm Motel 6. That's what I am. Me and, what's his name, Dan Bodell, Tom Bodell, he leaves a light on for you. Understand, that's not where we were talking about in Bethlehem. The inn there is literally somebody's spare room. They didn't have motels or hotels. It was somebody's upstairs loft. It was somebody's spare room that they had built onto the side of their house to house traveling guests or family who were coming in for a few days. And the Bible tells us that because everybody was traveling back to their hometown, Bethlehem was full of people coming back, just like Mary and Joseph, to register for the census. And by the time Mary and Joseph arrive, there's no place for them to stay. Verse 6 and 7, And so it was that while they were there, the days were accomplished, that she should be delivered. And she brought forth her firstborn son, wrapped him in swaddling cloths, laid him in the manger, because there was no room for them in the end. Now for the next ten minutes, I just want to ask you a simple question. Is there any room in your life for Christ this Christmas season? Is there any room in your life for Christ this Christmas season? Here's the amazing thing about this story. Jesus wasn't rejected. 
He just wasn't priority. He wasn't being rejected in Bethlehem. They didn't have room and say, we don't want you here. There was no room. There was no available space. Nobody had an outside apartment. Nobody had an extra space in their loft. There was no room. It wasn't that Jesus was being rejected. Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and John tell us over and over and over again where times where Jesus and his ministry was intentionally rejected. In Bethlehem, Jesus was not rejected. He just wasn't a priority. There was no room. For him, Let me prove it to you. Turn over to Matthew chapter 8. Look at Matthew chapter 8. Matthew chapter 8. Everybody still here? I knew when I had the kids to sing, it would be going downhill after that. Matthew, you never can upstage kids. Never can upstage kids. Should have had them sing lies. And when Matthew chapter 8, verse 28. When Jesus arrived on the other side of the lake in the region of the Gadarenes, two men who were possessed by demons, met him. They came out of the tombs and were so violent that no, one could, uh, that no one could go through that area. Notice, these two guys were demon-possessed, and they so harassed and was such a menace to the community, people couldn't even bury their dead. They couldn't even go to visit the graves at the cemetery because these people, these two demon-possessed men, would harass them, often attack them. They began screaming at Jesus, Why are you interfering with us, Son of God? Have you come here to torture us before God's appointed time? Verse 30, There happened to be a large herd of pigs feeding in the distance. So the demons begged, If you cast us out, send us into that herd of pigs. Verse 32, All right, go, Jesus commanded them. So the demons came out of the men and entered the pigs. And the whole herd plunged down the steep hillside into the lake and drowned in the water. Verse 33, the herdsmen fled to the nearbound town, telling everyone what happened to the demon-possessed men. Then the entire town came out to meet Jesus and to celebrate and to thank them for getting rid of these people that had been menacing, harassing the community. And they can now use their cemetery and go visit uh, the people who were buried there. They had a party and they just welcomed Jesus and thanked Jesus and accepted Him and gave Him the key to the city and made him the mayor and had him to, to lead the grand marshal of the Christmas parade. Is that what they did? No. They begged him to go away and leave them alone. Now think about that. Jesus delivers these guys and gives the people back their community cemetery. He blesses the community. Not only does he set these two guys free, he brings blessing and help to the community. And notice what the community does in return. They reject him. They say, we don't want you. Get out of here. They intentionally rejected Jesus Christ. In Bethlehem, there was no intentional rejection of Jesus. These people didn't tell him to get out of here. Other guests had simply taken all the room. And there was no space available for Mary and Joseph to stay. Think about it. There was no sin committed. No intentional rejection exhibited. 
Jesus simply wasn't a priority. There was no room for him. It's just about every week I hear my Christian's friend make comments like this. Pastor, you know I love the Lord, but I'm just so busy. You know I love Jesus. Pastor, I've been serving Jesus for years, but man, my life has got so hectic with work and the children's activities and school and running back and forth. And You know, we live a little ways from the church and I just don't have the time. You know I love Jesus. It's not my love. I'm against Jesus. And you know I love the church. I just, I just don't have time, Pastor. These are people, they love Christ. And they're not sinning. And there's no intentional rejection. There's just no room for Him in their life. He's not a priority. They've allowed the busyness of life to take priority over Jesus and what He's commanded us to do. He said it would happen this way. Turn with me to Mark chapter 4. Mark chapter 4. Mark chapter 4, verse number 3. Mark chapter 4, verse number 3. Jesus said it would happen like this. He said it's one of the things we'll have to deal with as we get older in life. He says, a farmer went out to plant some seed, and as he scattered it across the field, some of the seed fell on footpath, and the birds came and ate it. Other seed fell on shallow soil with underlying rock. The seed sprouted quickly because the soil was shallow, but the plant soon wilted under the hot sun, and since it didn't have deep roots, it died. Other seed fell among thorns that grew up and choked out the tender plants so that they produced no grain. And then he translates... What those men, verse number 18. Look at verse number 18, Mark chapter 4. The seed that fell among the thorns represents others who hear God's word. Christians, people who hear the word of God. But all too quickly, the message is crowded out by the worries of this life. The lure of wealth and the desire for other things so no Fruit is produced. Notice, there's no sin committed. There's no intentional rejection of Christ. There's no horrific act done that is disobedient to God. They're just simply allowing other things to take priority. There's no room for Jesus. And I've discovered this. Making room for Jesus requires intentionality. Intentionality. If you're going to make room for Jesus, you just got to be intentional about it. It won't slip up on you. And it can't be optional. It's got to be, we do this at our house, Jesus comes first. It can't be, well, Jesus and church and the work of the Lord and Bible study and family devotions. If we get around to it, let me tell you something. You'll never get to it. The the worries of life will crowd it out. Remember in Bethlehem, there was nobody doing anything intentionally wrong. There was no sin committed. There was no intentional rejection of Christ. There was just no room for Him. He wasn't priority. Think about the 
The people had places for people to stay. Think about the opportunity to have had the Messiah born in their house. But there was no room for Him. No room for Him. And if you're going to make room for Jesus, you've got to be intentional about it. Look at Matthew chapter 6, verse 33. Notice what it says. But seek, what's that next word? For Everybody say first. first. But seek what? First. Everybody say first. first. But seek first. First. Notice it doesn't even say, but seek His kingdom. It says seek first. It's an intentionality about it. He becomes first in my life. But seek first His kingdom and His righteousness. And all these things will be given to you as well. The placing of Christ and our obedience to His word first in our lives has always been expected of disciples of Christ. Let me repeat that. The placing of Christ and our obedience to His word first, first, in our lives, has always been expected of disciples of Christ. Only in modern America now can you be a Christian and put Jesus way down the totem pole. In other countries of the world where faith is supreme and it's sacrificial to be faith, they have to make a decision that Christ is first. The Word of God teaches us it's always been that way. Christ must become first. Only in America, in modern Christianity, American Christianity, can you still be a Christian and make sure Christ is at the end of the list. Everywhere else in the world and in the Bible, it wasn't that way. He's a jealous God. He'll share His glory with no one. He comes first. From worship, think about it, from worship on the first day of the week to the giving of our first first fruits, our material resources, even giving Him the first of our day. Early in the morning, the King said, I will seek thee. Christ must never take a lesser place in our lives than first. He is first. Seek ye first the kingdom of God. And here's what I've learned. Whatever place we give Jesus in our life, the generation which follows places Him at a position lower. If Jesus is a side thought in our families this Christmas, 15 years from now our grandchildren will be unfamiliar with the baby born in a manger. Well, it's getting quiet in here. I hear a few stomachs growling. I understand that feeling. So making him first has to be intentional. And you know, if you make him first, you know what that means? Something else that has been first has to become second and third, and fourth, and fifth. And every day of your life, I don't care what you do or how spiritual you are, you have to fight to keep Him in that first place. Because you will be tempted and tested and tried to have other things take 
its place. It has to be intentional. And then here's the third and final thing. If we're going to make room for Jesus this year, that requires serving those in crises. It's more than just reading the Christmas story. You've got to serve those in crises. Isn't that what Jesus did when He came to Bethlehem 2,000 years ago? We were foreigners, alone, unaided, without God, strangers to the covenant of promise. We were in crises. We were headed for hell. And Jesus came and ministered to us in crises. For God so loved the world that He gave. If you're really going to make room for Jesus, it's not just about reading the Christmas story. It's about serving the less fortunate and people who are in crises this Christmas. And not only just at Christmas time, but all during the year. You say, Pastor, what are you talking about? Okay, one more verse of Scripture. Turn with me to Matthew 25. Matthew 25, it's a prophecy that's going to take place concerning the end time. It says this, Jesus said this, But when the Son of Man, that's Jesus, comes in His glory, and all the angels with Him, then He will sit upon His glorious throne, all the nations, all the people's groups, that word nations is ethnos, which means people groups, all the people groups will be gathered in His presence. And He will separate the people as a shepherd separates sheep from the goats. He will place the sheep at his right hand and the goats at his left. Verse 34. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the creation of the world. Verse 35. For I was hungry and you fed me. I was thirsty. You gave me a drink. I was a stranger. And you invited me into your home. I was naked. And you gave me clothing. I was sick. And you cared for me. I was in prison. And you visited me. And the king will say, Lord, when did we ever see you hungry and feed you? Or thirsty and give you something to drink? Or a stranger and show you hospitality, or naked, and give you clothing? When did we ever see you sick, or in prison, and visit you? Verse 40, And the king will say, I will tell you the truth. When you did it to one of the least of these, my brothers and sisters, you were doing it to me. If you make room for Jesus this Christmas, you've got to make room in your finances, and in your life for the less fortunate. Do you hear me? I know Christmas is all about blessing our family and getting our Christmas list and making sure everybody we love gets something. I know that's what it's all about. That's the American Christmas. But if you make room for Jesus, the Bible says the naked the hungry, the imprisoned, the sick, the broken, the disturbed, the lost, the lonely, the depressed, the bruised, the downtrodden, the brokenhearted. 
That's Jesus. And if you make room for Jesus, you've got to make room for them. Let me encourage you this Christmas to make room for Jesus. Make it intentional. Make it intentional. We have a, a little tree back there at the back with a, some names of people that we've identified that are struggling. That this Christmas not, might not, they don't have the resources to have very much this Christmas. And we want to give our people an opportunity to help them. If you'd like to, and if you feel stirred to, would you go take one of those tags? Connie's back there. She'll help you take one of those tags. We'll write it down and bring back the gift next Sunday. And we'll make room for Jesus. Are you going to make room for Jesus this year? We normally don't, not because we intentionally reject Him. We just get busy and crowd Him out. And if we're going to make room, we've got to be intentional about it. And we can't make room without Him without helping the less fortunate.